Hello, everybody, and welcome to the One Shot Movement podcast, where it's all about diving deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, sports stars, business people, people that are out there making it happen. Today, we're with a four-time Olympian, Dan Kelly. Dan Kelly uh, represented Australia at the Olympics four times in judo. He also represented Australia in the Commonwealth Games in wrestling. He's also fought in the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championships, and 10 fights in that rapidly fast-growing mixed martial arts world as well. He's now an Olympic coach. He coaches people to get into the UFC. He's got his own fitness club and business. He's doing a lot of things, but uh, we talk a lot about, I guess, business life, being a part of the UFC, the fastest-growing sport in the world, and also some key fundamentals for getting ahead in life one in particular we talk about resilience uh, which is based on his business and his business principles and um, you know he talks a little bit about some of the adversities and challenges that he's faced in his journey to date um, both in professional uh, in sporting and in a personal situation as well so sit back enjoy and look forward to the interview with Dan Kelly Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, sports stars, business people that are making it happen. And I'm super excited about today's episode because I am a fan of the sport that he's been, um, you know, played at at the the definitely at the most highest level. He, he achieved four Olympic games. He fought in the UFC ten times. He's coaching at Olympic level and you know he's certainly he's even competed across two sports at the highest level as well, judo and wrestling. Um, so we're here today with Dan Kelly and we're going to talk a bit about his journey in business and life um, and also one of the key things which is what resembles his coaching, his philosophy and his business um, around resilience which is really, really important if you want to get ahead in life. So on that note, let's uh, welcome Dan to the show and you know, I'd love to start off with uh, inviting you to really fill out the story because because I certainly don't do it justice. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me on. Um, gee, it's a, it's a long story. It's a long... Um, well, I'm 42 now. I started judo when I was seven. Um, went to my first Olympics at 22 in Sydney. Uh, competed in four Olympics. Um, in between that time, I wrestled at Commonwealth Games in 2002. Uh, opened opened the gym, Resilience Training Centre, in 2014. As uh, soon as I finished uh, competing in judo 2012, I started competing in MMA. I was 35 and, uh, and ended up doing the Ultimate Fighter TV show and then got into the UFC and had 10 fights in the UFC. And now probably a little bit too old and broken for the competition side. But uh, coach, I was... Olympic coach for 2016. Hopefully we'll get at least one or two from the club <clears throat> qualified for, it's now 2021. And also um, I coach uh, four guys who fight in the UFC as well. Uh, a couple of them I'm the head coach and other ones I'm a specialist coach for. So wow. that kind of, yeah, that does fill out, doesn't fill out. But that's kind of a skim over what I've done. I've been running the business for 
six and a half years now. So and I was doing that while I was fighting as well. So that was a little bit of a juggling act. Plus, got a lovely wife and two kids as well. So it's uh, yeah, it's all been a big, big juggling act. Yeah, and I guess, you know, a sport like, you know, mixed martial arts, judo, you know, combat sports, if that's what you want to call it, you know, there would be, you know, a lot a lot of uh, – to compete at that level for so long, like four different Olympics, so we're talking, you know, significant um, career at that highest level and the UFC as well um you'd have a lot of injuries and a lot of setbacks and adversity along that journey from a sports perspective like what had been some of the biggest challenges that you faced um on that journey in in terms of injuries I've had a I've had a shoulder reconstruction had a knee reconstruction I've needed surgery on my knee now for gee almost 10 years but uh, I haven't gotten the surgery done. It's uh, the medial medial ligament was torn and has healed back probably a little bit loose, but then my lateral meniscus is shredded and it's got bits floating around. But my wife kind of said, if I have one more surgery, I'm not allowed to compete anymore. So I just, just taped it up and, and kept going, added to which the recovery time would have been like nine, nine months. And that's, that's a significant time out to get back into shape as you get older as well. Um, having family, that's, uh, it's not a challenge. It's, it's something, something you choose to fit in and, um, not choose to fit in, but that's, that's a vocal point. You fit everything else in around it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's mostly a time management thing and what you're, uh, what you're willing to do to, to get where you want to go. That's, that's probably the biggest, the biggest thing I think. Mm. And it's interesting too, like for me, I was, uh, you know, very active in sport growing up and, you know, played Aussie rules at state league levels and, and you know, I was quite talented at many different sports, the combat sports or mixed martial arts or whatever you want to call it. I wasn't really ever interested other than doing a bit of boxing in pre-season footy and so on and so on. But, um the sport has grown at such a rapid rate. Um, yeah, you've been a part of it, I guess, for a long time. But I guess you know, ten UFC fights, which is significant, you know, career there. But it was at the back end of your career too. Um, what have you seen happen in in that industry and sport as well? It's grown massively, and it's become much more mainstream. I mean, we run, we run, run a program at the gym called Wim to Warrior, which is a fantastic program where People who have had next to no martial arts experience come in, train for six months, five mornings a week, and they have, a, uh, they have an amateur cage fight at the end of it. And we, we put on a show that it's, it's comparable to a professional event, you know, all the walkout music, the lights, all your friends around. So that's a, a, a great program that's like a bucket list item for people as well or people who want to make a change or challenge themselves. But it's just everyone knows MMA now. Uh, when I first started, it was a little bit smaller, but it was gaining some momentum. And then uh, now it's ridiculous. And Australia is really high level now. Mm. So Australia and New Zealand is really high level now. But yeah, it's, it's even in the five or six years I was doing at the back end of my career. Yeah, massive, massive explosion. 
Yeah, and, and I um, did mention to you when we did catch up on the phone, as you know, I am a mixed martial arts fan and UFC fan, and I did sit high up in the, the stadium and watch, I don't know if it was your last fight in Melbourne, but uh, it, was a fight, uh, it was at um, Rod Laver Arena, so there would have been, you know, 20,000 people there, and um, there was a lot of good uh, Australian fighters on the card that night that uh, I think both Robert uh, Whitaker and also um, Alexander Volkanovski both went on to win championships in that time as well. So you you had a win there that not not day as well. I think is that. Yeah, I did. That was uh, that was a good one. That was actually on my uh, eldest son's birthday as well. So that was a uh, that was a good day. That was a good day. I got a few cuts, had a bit of blood on the face, but, uh, but yeah, no, it was a, it was a good day overall. <laughs> and in regards to, I guess, training at the highest level and business and performance and getting ahead in life, like a lot of the things that I'm trying to help instill in people is, um, I guess, growth and and surging forward you know, step by step and always trying to progress and get ahead and not just sit back and be complacent and let the world go by. What would you say for somebody that's, you know, maybe sitting in a job that they don't like or they're they're just sort of like spinning their wheels and just getting by, letting the day go by? How would you say like, you know, challenge yourself, push yourself, you know, for someone like yourself that's really, you coach people at that level, but you've been through that journey as well? It's funny, like the people who come in and I coach now, it's, uh, it's, it's all about structure and consistency, about pushing, pushing, pushing the envelope the whole time, always having goals for each session. But then for me, and, and you're talking about people in, in a job they're not happy with, it's, it's about finding a way. Just find a way. There's always ways. When I first started doing MMA, um, my wife's sitting behind me working, but I used to sneak to training early in the morning before work, in a lunch break, just to be able to get started. Because if I had have come with no experience at all and said, oh, I want to do this and at 35 with, uh, with two kids and, and a job kind of thing, it never would have happened. And then I started moving, started moving and, and just found a way. It's, it's, you can always find a way. And then the business opening up, it always hasn't been smooth sailing with the business and especially at the moment. But I mean, we've survived six, seven years. We've got a great customer base. You've got to be consistent, but you've got to find a way. If you want to do something different, don't make excuses not to do it. Find ways to do it. And that's, that's a big thing I say with uh, my athletes as well. Don't, don't find an excuse not to come to training. Find a reason to come to training. And that's, it's, they're really basic things, but they're really important. You have to live by them. Mm. And I, I guess one of the topics I really did want to dive into with you because, um, you know, I always try and bring on people that are really achieved great things in their special niches and, you know, to be a coach at Olympic level and, and be in an industry that you've been in for a long time and, and coaching people performing at the highest level, um, you know, you're certainly an expert in that area. And you, I want you to share a bit about and talk a bit about resilience because your business is called Resilience. What does that mean to you and what does, you know, it just really open up on, you know, your whole idea around resilience? Um, so it's, it's a few things, few things in my life that have really, really shown that I grew up and this is, this is off, 
off the mat, off the off the sporting side of things. I mean, my mum was in a in a wheelchair her whole life. She had a car accident when she was sixteen, and to be honest, she worked from when I was twelve years old. Did everything that any mother who was able bodied would have done. You got to remember, this is in the uh, <clears throat> in the seventies when I was born. <clears throat> Pardon me, and it wasn't that uh, common for uh, for people to be in wheelchairs when she originally had the accident was told she would never have kids. She had three kids, all that kind of stuff. And she's a, she's a very strong, strong woman. I always draw on that. And also um, my oldest son, he's a, he's got a rare genetic disease. This year he's just had a, a kidney transplant. And the fact that I watch or we watch what he goes through and the fact that he can still function like a normal teenager and, and all that is, is, uh, is, is another way. And that's why, that's why when it comes to the business side of things and, and the gym, it's everyone's got it so much easier, you know, like it's, uh, I had a conversation with one of my athletes last night who was <clears throat> emotional and crying. She just come back from a, a shoulder surgery. And I said, you can't fall to pieces every time something doesn't go right. You, it's not a good trait in a judo athlete. And this is a girl who's been to ju- junior world titles. Um, it's not a good trait as an athlete and it's not a good trait in life either. You have to be able to weather the storm a little bit and keep moving forward. And there's so many cliches around that and there's reasons for it because it's true. You can't just go, Oh, the gym shut down. We're done. Or I've been injured or this hasn't gone my way. You go, no, I've just got to keep going. I've got to trust that I'm going in the right direction and keep going and that's that's all you can do it's a it's a little bit of stubbornness as well and and that's that's where the resilience comes into it yeah and and i think it is like it is perspective um you know like you've had challenges obviously growing up with your with your mum's situation and and you know unbelievable challenges to have a child you know have a kidney transplant you know they're real life challenges you know someone having a shoulder injury like you know I always have on my phone um, because we had a stillborn baby always have on my phone his feet you know and I always say to myself oh shit it was a bad day today Mm, wasn't too bad considering watching your wife deliver a stillborn baby that's that's a bad day (laughs) and yeah so I think um life is built on challenges it's not a matter of if it's a matter of how many you're going to have and it says how well you can embrace them and I think one of the the key I guess core principles that you're living by and your your businesses is resilience and you know that's something that will help people surge forward that's for sure um back it just back into I guess um uh, the UFC and um, what your thoughts are on where that's heading at the moment. Like just from a, you know, it's gone, you've seen the transition and the growth at the moment as it has become mainstream. Um, but just all the, the media and, you know, the, the, the prize money's um, improved dramatically for some people and that as well. Um yeah, what's what's the lifestyle like as a, a UFC fighter now? Um, I, I never enjoyed the circus that much, to be honest. I hated all the social media. Um, I love the competition. That's that's one of the big reasons, and also there were big financial benefits as well. But um, some of the young kids that I coach now, uh, it's always like some of them have no interest in the social media. It's 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 a job. 
it's a job. And for that one week or in the lead up to an actual fight, that's where the circus comes around. And yet you have to either embrace that. Some of the kids embrace it and love it. Others of them do it and try and brush it aside so it's not a distraction. But that's what also is why you get paid. They build up all this hype around, pardon me, around everything. Um, yeah, the, the, the better you get, the, the bigger wins you have, the more circus is around. And it's just something else you have to manage. Some of the guys love it. Some of the guys can't stand it. I mean, one of the guys, Jake Matthews, who I coach, can't stand it. Doesn't enjoy it at all, the media side of things. Whereas uh, Jimmy Cruton, say, Ben Sassoli, Cal Potter, they, they don't mind. They don't mind it so much. But, yeah, we're, we're also dealing with Americans and they love that that stuff <laughs> a lot a lot more than we do. So it's it's always a little bit of a different spin when, when an Aussie jumps on the media or the social media stuff compared to the Americans because they're way over the top. Yeah, and your biggest fight win in the UFC would be against Rashad Evans. Would that be your biggest yeah. highest profile fight? Because yeah. um, for the audience that haven't listened to, I wouldn't be able to do it justice, his career, but he was the world champion at the time or, or just before fighting you? At the time, yeah, he was a, he was a light heavyweight world champion, won, um, won an Ultimate Fighter show. He'll be inducted. I think he's just been inducted in or will be inducted into the, uh, the Hall of Fame for, uh, for the UFC. So he's a, yeah, he's a massive, uh, massive personality and massive athlete. And uh, that was his first uh, drop down to middleweight for that fight. So there was a lot of, uh, a lot of media and hype around that one. So, mm. so that, was, yeah, that was an interesting experience. First, fight, first, first time fighting in Vegas as well. So, yeah, it was, it was cool. It was a cool experience. Yeah. And... I guess in regards to the sport growing so quickly, like there's so many people, um, uh, I, well, I don't know what I'm trying to say, just everyone's becoming a, a rapidly growing uh, public figure in the industry really, like everyone's got a, a show which is a, attracting lots of eyeballs and, you know, it, it really is probably growing faster than any other sport out there at the moment, just from a whole production point of view. And um, have you had many dealings with, you know, Dana White and what's he like to do business with? I've spoken to him twice at Wayne's and stuff like that. I only ever dealt with the uh, matchmakers and things like that. I didn't, I mean, like I said, I wasn't that interested in the whole circus thing. Um, just wanted to go in, get my wins, come home and, and go about it again. I, I certainly didn't, because I think because I came into it a little bit later and from a, an amateur sporting background, I understood, I understood the game. I understood what, what needed to be done, but I certainly wasn't someone who was going to jump in and, and jump around and, and do all the media you know, be a, be a circus animal like uh, some of these guys are. But I understand also that it's a necessary part of the sport to get bums in seats as well. Hmm. And back onto the Olympics, you, you mentioned 2021. So that is something that's, you know, 
they're, they're working towards or it's been announced? Because I did have um, John Quinn who coaches a lot of athletes uh, in athletics and he was had a whole heap of athletes that were really well prepared for this Olympics. I interviewed him just at the start of the COVID-19 and it was a bit unknown, but he was really hoping that, you know, something was going to be worked out. So, um, yeah, what's the latest on Olympics moving forward? Uh, we were just in a holding pattern. So our, um, our qualifying was really hard on the athletes. We were actually overseas when it all went down. So we were in a training camp in Czech Republic with the six athletes, six or seven athletes who were still in the running to actually qualify. So our qualifying was still live. There were still maybe seven competitions left in our qualifying process. Um, we're in Czech Republic training. We, we heard about COVID-19. The doctors just said, make sure you wash your hands wash your face, uh, just extra hygiene uh, protocols. We're meant to be leaving for Morocco uh, the next day. And that afternoon at training, Morocco has been cancelled. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay. But we're meant to go from Morocco to Russia for another competition. They said, no, 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 but Russia's going to go ahead. The Moroccan government actually shut down the competition and, and locked everyone out. Okay, so we readjusted everything. And you got to remember, these athletes... Uh, these two tournaments were really important for them. We were targeting these two tournaments. Okay, it'll be all right. We'll readjust our, our uh, schedule. We'll stay in Czech Republic, stay at the training camp, training away. All's good. We're meant to leave on Tuesday morning for Russia. 10.30 on Monday night, we get a call saying Russia's been cancelled. And these poor athletes, we have to scramble everything to uh to come back home and now we're in the situation we're in now so it was really really hard from them they've actually they've actually because i've been in close contact with them they're managing it pretty well and it may end up being a better scenario for some because they may actually open up some more qualifying events so they've got more opportunities to get points towards actually qualifying but that was that was a hard couple of weeks for those guys because you're building yourself up you're cutting weight getting ready for a comp Day before we leave, cancelled. Day before we leave, cancelled. So that was uh, that. I'm hoping will make them stronger, and that's why I'm really looking forward to this camp starting on the eighth of June, with the guys to get them back together and start working towards the uh, the next set of competitions, whenever they may be. I mean, I'm looking at a uh, I'm looking at a kind of area of time between November and January as to when we'll be able to travel again. Um, and all the other details will have to take care of themselves because it's all speculation at the moment. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting time. I mean, it's an interesting time for everyone. So yeah. uh, you just have to manage it. Yeah, absolutely. And with um, – and because John was saying that he's got an athlete that, you know, potential – to potentially be as good as a Kathy Freeman type, you know, like once in a 20-year generation that was like primed for, you know, really competing at that level and, you know, and that's where we're talking a bit about the perspective. Like he's, you know, he had some, in his interview, some challenges that he'd face along the way and he goes, look, you know, it's bad for them but, you know, a bit like what you're talking about around resilience, like, you know, you just have to build that resilience up if you want to achieve great things. Don't just give up at your first uh, hurdle. Um, with, with uh, training and preparing, etc. again, you went 20 years or however long uh, with judo as a skill and, and to compete in 
mixed martial arts, you know, the USC, you would have lent in quite heavily on the skill that you'd mastered a long time. But now a lot of these athletes are having to develop, you know, jiu-jitsu skills, boxing skills and other skills. Do you find now that to compete at that level you really need to be good at many or you can just rely on, you know, your superpower, you know, like some people are like great strikers, some people are, you know, good at wrestling. Uh, What would you say about that? Everyone's much more rounded now. I spent when I moved over to MMA, I probably spent 60 to 65% of my time just on the striking element because I had, I'd done a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I'd wrestled, I'd done judo. So that side of things was, was covered, even, even at a high level internationally for, for MMA. I spent a lot of time on that because I came to it late. And the muscle, the muscle memory and how my, my body composition was from all the years of grappling isn't necessarily conducive to uh, to being a striker and moving around. So all the guys now, you have to be good everywhere, but you need also to be... So you need to be able to win a fight anywhere, but you need to be exceptional or, or good in certain areas as well, because otherwise, if you're a good, just a good all-rounder, where are you going to win the fight? Mm. You know, if you're okay at this, well, this guy's a lot better at this, he can get you that. So you need to be able to... Be, be all well-rounded everything, but also have the capacity to impose your game on the other person. So something I always did when I was competing in MMA is it's all well and good what the other guy does, but how am I going to impose my game or my skill set on him to be able to beat him? Because just countering what the other person does isn't going to actually win me the match. And it's a very similar, same concept in judo, Exactly the same concept in, um, in MMA. When we're setting game plans, like, okay, you need to be aware of this and this. That's how we mitigate these, but this is how you're going to win the fight. This is what you need to do to win the fight. And that's, that's a really important uh, structure to have as well because you can't, you can't win a fight by thinking about what the other person is going to do. You have to be aware, but you need to impose what you want to do on the other person. Yeah, and with just to, again, for the non-mixed martial arts performer um audience people because there's people from all around the world that jump onto this you're like to be elite at say judo is going to require x amount of hours per week just for training for that there what's a typical you know a a top level ufc fighter how many hours a week would they spend um across all disciplines or is it it's just built into them now um or or just how many hours a week would they spend training and preparing for a fight um we have our general structure and sessions and then obviously training and i always say that you make your improvements outside of fight camp you don't make improvements inside so all the technical things that need to be addressed are all done outside of getting ready for a fight when you get ready for a fight in all honesty, for 12 weeks, you're sleeping with a different person because every day you're working towards beating, beating a certain person. So the amount of work you do in certain areas, especially the younger guys who are well-rounded, will be geared a little bit more towards the game plan we want to do and what we want to do. So say you're dealing with X, you need to be working a little bit more with this. And it's only a small percentage because you're always going to cover all bases because sometimes injuries happen and you're going to get another opponent at short notice, and you need to be prepared for anything. But 
the gearing does certainly change depending on the type of opponent you have. I mean, you could be fighting a southpaw striker, so you need to have this kind of thing, and that'll take up an extra 10 to 15% of, of what we're doing and our overall process during live training, the strike, the, the sparring and the grappling, will be on implementing what we want to do to this guy. But at the same time, that can be put, that, that kind of process can be put on anyone. So, for example, in, in our grappling structure leading into, I had, we had four guys on in New Zealand. There were three key main positions we worked on for the whole time. And they stayed for the whole 12 weeks and they were relevant to all four guys, either in a defensive or an offensive way. So it's, it's really hard to go too specific, but you need to have some kind of specific uh, outcomes that you, you want to achieve. Yeah. And with, um, yeah, because, you know, you, you hear about all the, the fight camps that lead into fights and preparation and bringing in fighters and all that sort of stuff. What type of, I, I guess it could be zero dollars to a lot of money, but what's a typical, um, you know, star of the UFC uh, for their 12 week camp or however long it is? What would they spend on a camp roughly? Uh, our boys do everything at home, so it's it's not that much. It's just paying. Uh, they often are sponsored by supplement companies, by ready-made food companies, uh, physio. Like they normally have have gotten a set of sponsors together, and then it's more or less paying coaches. We, we've got a pretty good group of guys who can, can deal with all different sorts of scenarios. So what we've really tried to do here, and it's what Jake and I did when we first started and got in, we want to be able to do the majority of our training at home. We don't want to go overseas to these American mega gyms that are, that are just going to treat us like a rank and file bit of meat for their guys to train with. We want to be able to do it all at home. And we're starting to do that better. Now, City Kickboxing in New Zealand also done that really, really well. I've gone, no, 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 we're going to do everything here. We'll get guys in if we need to. Now, we haven't needed to get guys in. We've got great striking coaches around. Our Muay Thai scene's really big in Victoria. So is our boxing scene. Uh, Grappling-wise, we're all covered. So we've, we've managed to be able to do it to a pretty high level in, in Melbourne. And, and I've done that. I mean, we started creating the group in, what, 2014. So it hasn't happened overnight. But in the six years, I'm now comfortable to say we can, we can do it. No problem. Hmm. Just at wrapping up every episode, I always ask a few, uh, I call them rapid fire questions, but they just get answered the way they get answered. Um, what's, uh, uh, do you, are you into books or podcasts or anything that you've read or you really find would be a great bit of content that the everyday average person should do or read or listen to to be able to get ahead in life? Um, I, I don't read books that much. To be honest, I read um, science fiction fantasy books and uh, <laughs> that's about all I read. Um, no, I don't listen to podcasts either. Too busy. I should put them on in the car, to be honest, rather than listen to Gold 104. But, mm. but yeah, no, I, um, I learn things from people. I look at, like, at the moment, for example, watching Last Dance on uh, Netflix, which has been awesome. And, yeah. I mean, I'm 42, so I grew up in the Jordan era where yeah. everyone wanted to be like Mike. Um, that's been really good. Odds and ends. But, um, but yeah, nothing, nothing book-wise or specific that, that I've done. It's all experience-based and 
just talking to people around, that's all. Yeah. And what would you say the best bit of advice is that you've ever received? Um, gee, that's, that's good. Um, be consistent. That's probably the biggest thing. Be consistent. Yeah. And what about the next three to five years? Um, do you see yourself really focusing on that whole coaching side? Like what, where do you see yourself? Like the UFC is obviously growing rapidly. Do you see yourself pushing down that laneway a bit more or? Um, I, the business needs to grow, obviously, because we've been shut for so long with COVID-19. I've got, I've got um, targets I want the business to hit. I want to get some of our boys ranked in the UFC. I also want to get some high-level uh, world and Olympic representative and, uh, and results in, in the judo side. So my, my life is the business, judo and MMA training or the MMA coaching are both very, very similar. So I have to travel a lot for the judo coaching, but obviously we spend a lot of time with the MMA guys too. So it's, it's double-tiered and there's very, very similar principles across both sports that's and it's it's structure consistency and the whole thing around making an excuse to train not to just come in and make the most out of every session you're in and that that's across any sport and i've i've said before that if you know the the content if you know what you're dealing with so i know judo well i know mma well the training structures and approaches don't really change now i'm probably not always the most reasonable guy when it comes to training, but but there needs to be some structure and accountability. Otherwise, you know, every Tom, Dick, and Harry will come in, and combat sports are hard. You know, mm-hmm. so it needs to it needs to have that kind of accountability and, and structure. Otherwise, there's no point. Mm. And where would someone find you or your business, your gym? Just uh, let it, let everyone know if you live around inner city Melbourne and you want to go from wimp to uh, legend, uh, wimp to warrior. <laughs> oh. We're in um, we're in Footscray, eighty six Buckley Street, Footscray, and we we cater to everyone. I mean, we've got CrossFit, kids judo, beginner judo, BJJ, boxing, and MMA. And if you want to just come in. And, and start getting fit. I mean, we've got, we've got four-year-old kids up to 50, 60-year-old uh, grandparents who do CrossFit. We've got Olympic athletes, the high-level MMA guys. So what I've tried to create is a, is a community and a family atmosphere where everyone's welcome. And we, yeah, before lockdown, I, it'd be nothing to have the MMA guys in training and have five or six kids because they've had to bring their kids to training playing on the side of the mat and, and I think that's really important for the guys who have got kids too, that, that it can all be close together. I'm not saying the kids watch, watch their adults, watch their parents fight or anything like that, but making it as comfortable an atmosphere as possible because training's hard and horrible. So you need to be able to have that, that kind of connection everywhere as well. Yeah. And what about website or Facebook groups or anything like that? Uh, Resilience Training Centre. At uh, Resilience Training Centre is the Facebook, Instagram is uh, Resilience Training Official. Um, and, yeah, that's uh, – yeah, jump jump on, have a look, and 
We'll be open on the 22nd of June, thank goodness. <laughs> um, look, uh, just in summary, like I think, you know, for me this conversation's been quite good because I am a, an avid fan of uh, the USC and a common friend of ours, Matt Pilios, uh, when I said, uh, do you know anyone in the USC to jump on? He said, just call Dan, he's a great guy, uh, just say my name and, um, you know, you just said, yeah, no problems, I'd like to uh, chat to you. But one of the real important things that I wanted to get out of today was talking a bit about resilience and getting ahead in life and, you know, adversity challenges and, you know, you've had adversity from a sporting perspective, you've had adversity growing up, you've had adversity, you know, with your current family arrangement with your young child as well happened to have a transplant and and now you're facing business adversity with COVID-19 and you know just to uh, donate some of your time to come on to the podcast I very much appreciated so uh, Dan I I thank you and uh, look forward to connecting sometime soon. Yeah for sure no worries thank you very much for having me on and yeah, do anything for Matty Pilios, great guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. No worries. Thanks, Craig. Well, I hope you got a lot out of today's episode with Dan Kelly. What an amazing story. Uh, representing Australia at four Olympics, he also represented at a different sport at the Commonwealth Games. He's an Olympic coach now. He's uh, coaching MMA fighters. He fought in the UFC 10 times that rapidly growing sport the ultimate fighting championship uh we talked a bit about resilience and how important resilience is and it's one of his core principles and we did talk a bit about challenges and adversities you know i've certainly faced uh challenge and adversity through my journey in life and uh dan shared a bit about it on a personal front um with the health of his child and you know we're always going to be faced with challenge and adversity and it's about perspective and embracing the challenges and navigating your way through this journey of life. If you like today's episode, make sure that you share that with your friends, put it up on social media, downloads um, are important, feedback is important, so make sure that you contribute from that perspective as we want to get more powerful guests on like we had today with Dan Kelly. My name's Craig Schultz and I'm the host of the One Shot Movement podcast.